Yo, it's Marcus Jordan, CEO of Trophy Room, and you're tuned in to Beyond the Smoke with Thomas Ward. Today, we welcome Marcus Jordan, the founder and CEO of Trophy Room, an elevated retail experience expanding the Jordan legacy, UCF hospitality management graduate, and the proclaimed drip of the family. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. an honor. I've been to your Trophy Room store that was in Disney, and I think it was it was great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. We're going to take it up a notch, but uh, it was a good start there. Yeah? Oh, yeah. How did you decide to get into this? Uh, well, I mean, why been, retail? Retail, well, retail specifically. I've been around sneakers and fashion my whole life. You know, I started getting Jordan Elite packs, we call them, at an early age, and so I just always gravitated towards style and fashion and sneakers predominantly. And uh, I've been in Orlando since 2009. I've always just kind of surveyed the market and, and kind of wanted to find sneakers here. Not like you know, not that I was buying, but sure. you know, I'm an enthusiast. I'd like to go see you know other retailers, et cetera, et cetera. And so around 2014, um, I graduated from college in 13, took a year off, started working on my business in 14, and I just realized that there was like a void in the marketplace for sneaker stores here at that time. And so I put together a business plan, pitched it to my dad, uh, pitched it to his team, and the first response I got back was, man, you've never had a job. Like, how are you going to open a business and you've never had a job before? Because all of my college career, I was playing basketball, and then my senior year, I, I gave my scholarship back and just focused on getting my degree. And so that was, you know, a, a bump in the road for me. And so I said to them, you know, I don't need a job. I was, uh, I, I kind of went back at them like, how am I going to work in a store selling Jordans? I am a Jordan. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? And right. so what I did was I just, I teamed up with a mentor, almost like a buddy-buddy, uh, like shadowing system of my mentor, James Whitner. And James kind of taught me the ropes and taught me, uh, you know, the ins and outs of retail, retail. 101. And so eventually I kept pitching, kept pitching, kept answering all their questions and uh, got the green light. And so at that time, uh, Disney was actually doing a renovation of D downtown Disney, Disney Springs, et cetera, et cetera. And so the pieces just kind of fell in line. Um, I pitched the concept to them. They loved it. And then ever since then, I just kind of started working on, you know, how to get the thing open. On that, on that retail shop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question going back, right? You're presenting to a team your idea yep. right because this is what entrepreneurs run into right now even me as i look for expansion you have to present it to possible investors yeah. and how did you feel when these people told you no um well i'm a very optimistic person and you i are. feel like okay. i can convince anyone i could sell you know anything to anybody right and so when i got no it wasn't like a damn i gotta stop or you know they, they're not listening to me um, I kind of took feedback and took notes from the conversation and figured out what they were really asking. And so with them saying, like, I've never had a job before, that was me kind of saying, OK, I need to get some experience. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I just basically made a checklist of the things that they said why I couldn't open the store. Right. And then eventually went through checking off each box. Yeah. Exactly. Until I was like, well, what else? And there was nothing else, you know? Okay. So. so you necessarily didn't get a job in a retail establishment. You got a mentor that basically taught you the role. Exactly. I wasn't necessarily getting a paycheck, but I was there on the ground floor, you know, learning the in ins and outs every day. And that's great. Oh, yeah. That's the only way. Exactly. At that time, you know, I was upset and I didn't I didn't get why they were saying that. But after I, you know, kind of shadowed and interned a little bit, then I, yeah. I started to understand why they said that. You know, it's funny. It happened to me 
my family goes from the ice cream business distribution business and then my dad gets bored and buys supermarkets yeah right? and um and i kept telling him like man we need to buy this specific supermarket and he said no like five or six times yeah. it's a piece of shit. i don't want to buy it <laughs> gentleman that was the owner of the supermarket uh, his son studied with me so i called his son and i said hey can i speak to your dad i'd like to know what are the numbers to see right. if we could buy this and I went and sat with a dad and he went ahead after I left and called my dad oh, and said, like, your son's here trying to buy the supermarket with no money. <laughs> Can you kind of explain this to me? Right. And my dad proceeded to go to the store, fire me, and then went and bought the supermarket. <laughs> well, yeah. just to try to teach you a lesson. Yeah. And I have to tell you that I always ask how people feel, obviously, when you get a no, because, I mean, we're young. At that point, I was young. You were young. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's the best thing that could ever happen. Yeah. I mean, I was under the impression, like, no matter what, even if they told me no, I was going to make it happen right. no matter what. And so, uh, you know, it's similar circumstances. I didn't get necessarily fired or cut out no, of the no, will no, or no. anything. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I was under the you know same notion that, look, if you guys aren't going to invest, I'm going to find my own way to make it happen. And, yeah. um, you know, luckily I was able to convince them after after a period of time. So you opened Trophy Room what year? 16? Yeah, opened. we opened on May 23rd of 2016. 16. Which is a significant okay. date for us because my jersey number in college was 5. And then my okay. dad's obviously 23. So the date was 5, so it 23. Made, it made sense. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. And then what happens? The store starts selling yeah, really the, well. The store right? was crazy, man. The store opening, we uh, we had people flying in from all over the place. People flew in from China. That's crazy. From uh, Japan, New York, all over the place. So awesome. And uh, we had lines and, uh, you know, uh, my landlord made us have like police with helicopters and police on horseback just because it was very, very crazy. Whoa. It took us. Funny story is like the POS system went down. At like we opened at five twenty three in the morning, and at like five twenty, the POS system went down. Like all the internet was down, Holy and so shit. we were literally in there with with Disney's team, just freaking out. I'm at the at the register, and like at that time, I wasn't the savviest person with the register, but like I'm trying to fix it. Long story short, we ended up getting the store open like ten minutes late. Okay, but uh, we were there all day long. I think uh, you know it was like a nineteen hour day or something like that for me and some of my staff. But uh, it was very successful. I think we did over a million dollars our first day. Yeah, which Whoa, was which was crazy. That's I man. had people from Jordan Brand and Nike like that were like high level management people in my stock room, like helping us with sales and transactions. That's awesome, just because though. it was so crazy. Yeah, it was. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. That's probably some, one of your best experiences in your life. I mean, something that you did. Yeah. It comes to life and successful. Exactly. That's that's the beauty of it. Was that like I took you know, that the the company from like inception to grand opening and essentially we're kind of doing it again with the new location. Why the new location downtown Orlando? Why you make that choice to obviously you close that location. Yeah. It, you know, you consider that, like you said, maybe like a learning experience. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great learning experience. I mean, we closed just because we couldn't grow at a rate we wanted to grow. Right. You know, I've got some pretty extensive growth plans for Trophy Room. And uh, but it was a blessing to get the, you know, get the brand open there. Uh, we had, you know, international tourists and travelers coming to, uh, you know, shop with us and kind of build that brand recognition with us. So mm -hmm. uh, it was a valuable time spent at Disney, but uh, I don't miss it at all. I'm excited to uh, get this downtown yeah. location open. What we found was um, a lot of our customers were repeat return local 
uh, guests. Okay. And so, you know, that was a majority of our business. And so that's why I really wanted to kind of move it downtown and try to, um, you know, serve the local customers a little better. The local customers. Oh, yeah. So let's take it back. You go to college, you do hospitality. Yeah. Where was your decision in doing hospitality? Um, well, ultimately, I want to eventually get into uh, boutique hotels. Okay. And so, um, you know, I felt like hospitality management, all the classes were very customer service based, um, very business oriented. And I felt like it would all be shit that I would use down the road. You know, I wasn't taking classes that uh, that I wouldn't use or implement. Um, I actually took the beer and wine class over there a couple of times. I actually failed it the first time I took it just because, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that there was a whole online portion of the class. So I was going to class drinking and tasting all the beer and wine every day and then not logging in online and doing all the extra coursework. So, oh, really? Yeah, so my in-person participation was great, but my online participation was terrible. And so I had to take it again. But... Uh, but yeah, I felt like all the classes at the hospitality management uh, program were, were phenomenal. Were good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you decided that you want to do it because you want to do boutique hotels. Right. And then did that change at that point when you decided to go into retail? I know you want to go probably into the boutique hotel eventually. Yeah, I think it's just a, a it, boutique hotels are something that I'm striving towards. Um, again, I think being in Orlando for so long. I just realized that there was a void for like true sneaker heads, like that true sneaker retail expression. And so um, in 2014, well, 2013, 2014, I started working on the concept, pitched it to Nike. They approved it. Uh, funny story is shortly after, you know, when I was in my pitch meetings to Nike, they were like, well, why Orlando? You know, I've never, you know, they didn't have much representation here. Um, I pitched to them, you know, there's 60 million people coming to Orlando every year. There's a tremendous opportunity. Um, and shortly after we opened, they actually ended up coming to the marketplace and opening a Jordan store and a Nike store. Well, they've been here Nike-wise with a couple of outlets, but they opened a Jordan store and it was never communicated to me. And so I found out through like local blogs and local you know, press clippings that, oh, Jordan is coming to the marketplace. And so originally I felt like stabbed in the back, like, hey, what the hell? Like you guys told me why Orlando originally, but then six or six months later, you guys come into the marketplace. and. Uh, they made sure, and this wasn't this was always the plan, but they made sure that to separate the kind of um, products that we receive, and so oh, really? they get more of the mass marketed products, and we get more of the exclusive stuff. So where is that? That was kind of a compromise. Uh, I think it's in Florida Mall. Oh, in the Florida Mall. Yeah, I think oh, it's in the Florida I've, Mall. I've never seen. It. Yeah, it's there. It's, it's there. there, and it, yeah. it doesn't really compete with what we do. We're more on sure. the ground floor, and uh, we get a chance to kind of adapt with uh, with the landscape. That business specifically, I want to say the shoe business in in terms of you know collectible sneakers and stuff like that. Yeah. When do you think that business changed? Because I I mean it 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 was a transformation, right? Yeah, I would say in the early two thousands, it really became that collectible gotta see like obviously in the early 90s there was like the original initial rush you know and all of the stuff my dad was doing on the court and all the other guys you know as well but at that time everything was more accessible you could walk into the store and grab the and shoe grab off the, the shoe, wall yeah. it's probably like 95 bucks at the time or 65 bucks for a jordan one or something like that and nowadays i think early 2000 when it really started to get commercialized was when you know the the shift occurred and that hype really started to get uh, driven. The shift is is crazy. I mean, you, yeah. you I, I forget his name, but the guy I was watching the other day, a YouTube video that he's part of the terror squad, I think, and he has houses. Yeah, Fat Joe and DJ Khaled, those guys. Yeah. And all the, yeah, but it wasn't any of those. It was just like one of these, I think he's major, whatever the hell. Mayor. 
Mayor. Mayor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. And Mayor. that he He's has like three houses full of sneakers, and the guy was getting rid of all his collection. I'm yeah. like, holy He's shit. got. He's one of the top dogs. He's got an extensive collection. Yeah, He's been man. doing it for, for decades. For decades. But it was impressive just to see that he had kept this, these sneakers in perfect shape. Yeah. And people go there and buy some specific sneakers that don't exist yeah. and all oh, that. Yeah. Which it's, is, it's a uh, whole ecosystem, man. It's, it's a whole ecosystem, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. You feel Orlando obviously is a store that you're going to practice what you want to do in the next markets or? Well, I feel like, um, you know, Orlando is always going to be a hub for us. I feel like, um, you know, what we were doing at Disney, it just wasn't, it, it didn't mesh, right? And so with this new location, we get a chance to kind of reset. We're introducing this concept called the Breakfast Club. And for us, the Breakfast Club is going to be flexible, programmable activation space within the store. And so we'll be able to program at any moment for panel discussions, workshops, um, art installations, different ways to kind of engage the community and the bring community, them out yeah. on a local level. And so uh, things like that, bringing in a new brand mix, um, some elevated brands, some more accessible brands, I think is really going to separate us from you know more of those other boutiques that you might see. But in terms of growth, um, it's really a collaborative thing with Nike um, when it comes time for me to grow figuring out what marketplaces kind of need that demand, you know, kind of served because they've got long lasting relationships with some of these other retailers and vendors. And, you know, to go into a marketplace that's already being served, um, they kind of frown upon that or it would I wouldn't get the special product that I need as a, as a brand to kind of stand out. So. so the good thing about it is that they're producing stuff that's specifically for Trophy Room. Yeah. So we collaborate with them on. A bunch of different stuff but then at the same time nike um categorizes their their relationships with their retailers mm -hmm. and so there's different tiers which based on what tier you're in uh, you know I be, I basically defines what access to product you get cool and so uh, we're at that top tier <laughs> obviously i would imagine exactly and yeah. so um you know when it comes to that that level then you kind of have to work with them in terms of your growth plans one of the things that I think is critical when you're expanding is information. Oh, yeah. Right? Exactly. And when, when you have sales information of where your strongest stores are and everything, it gives you a leg up. Yeah, it does. And so for us, when the time comes, we'll sit down and kind of evaluate what markets need that, that kind of jump start, I guess would say. And uh, that's when we'll make the decision. But I'm proud that you're choosing Orlando instead of a big city. Because I yeah. think the big cities, you know, serve that market, I, I think, a little bit better, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you'll find uh, more of a variety of boutiques in the big, in the major markets, in the major cities. But uh, what I like is kind of being the big fish in the small pond. Like I said, we're, we're mom and pop. It's only one store. I mm -hmm. kind of call the shots, so to say. And so uh, I like that flexibility of being able to kind of adapt and do different things, test things out before we yeah, kind of take them to scale. That's important. Yeah. We'll go back to UCF, right? You, you're playing basketball. You're doing hospitality. Um, at that time, obviously, you're focused on that, that portion of your, you know, what you wanted to do. When does it come a change where you decide basketball is not for me? Yeah. And I'm going to follow through on my business plans. Um, well, I always, you know, growing up, it was basketball 24-7. Sure. Even through my first three years of college, you know, it, I never thought like, all right, I want to open up a sneaker store. Um, but my the end of my junior year, going into my senior year, we had some uh, recruiting issues, I guess, that was going on with the program. And so we were actually under a postseason ban going into my senior year. So even if we went undefeated, we weren't allowed to go to the NCAA tournament. And so just because some other stuff was going on. And so they actually took some scholarships back away from us, et cetera, et cetera. 
and so at that time, I could have either transferred to another school and played out my senior year. Maybe I might have had to sit a year, or I could have gotten a waiver to play right away. And it was just a bunch of other things happening behind the scenes that kind of just turned me off to NCAA basketball as a whole. And so what I did was I actually ended up giving my scholarship back to the program so that they could use it Which for great. the next year. And then uh, I just focused up, got my degree that, that year, 2013. I wanted to take a year off because I never really had free time. You know, mm. when you're playing collegiate sports, it's a job 24-7, you know, even through high school, middle school, et cetera. And so once I took that year off, I realized, like, damn, this is what free time feels like. Like, I can do literally anything that I want. And so I traveled a lot. Um, I went to different stores, went to different boutiques and stuff. And then something just clicked, like, you know, I would love to do this, you know, travel to Fashion Week, travel to, you know, all these different, um, you know, shows, trade shows, and, you know, have a store. And so from that point on, I just started working on it, developing it, uh, like I said, pitching it to my dad and his team, and just kind of led to where I am right now. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know too much about the retail market, but let's think about the off-white situation, right? Yeah. He he creates this off-white brand. It grows enormously. Oh, yeah. Is that something you think there's a possibility in the marketplace again? So, yeah, I think with Off-White, you know, they started from an apparel front first and then essentially, you know, started to wholesale to other accounts and other retailers, other brands. And so and then built their business Um, for us. We're kind of doing it the reverse way where we have a physical location and then we're trying to back in our apparel brands and our accessory brand, et cetera, et cetera. So um, with that, I do think there is a possibility to for somebody else to strike it big like off-white i, right. I would say um, but for us i think what we're trying to do is really just develop a consistent offering every season from you know from the apparel side that uh can really just kind of speak to the brand ethos and things like that in consideration when you look at the business portion of it i think right all these people that have decided to build their brands and then go off and sell them yeah they they, they end up buying them back like yeah Diddy recently just bought his brand back because they they couldn't execute it on it right. right exactly yeah that happens a lot um and you see now um there's a big push in uh big brands buying little brands and trying to yeah. you know keep things moving forward and so i'm interested to see what happens you know in the next few years because a lot of those newer acquisitions acquisitions have you know happened recently so we'll see the only time will tell yeah yeah so let's talk about marcus marcus do you have a routine i mean you know for for me 2022 i've been thinking a lot about routines um basically what you do to take care of yourself mentally physically all yeah. that because that's important right at the end of the day you're sure. trying to build a business it takes a lot of your energy You know, you're trying to balance relationships with friends, family, all that. 100%. How do you do it? You know, it's something that I'm still learning to do. You know, I'd, I'd be lying to say I was an expert on it. Um, but, you know, I've just got an internal mo motor that just never stops. And one of the things that I do or I like to do actually is like my favorite time to do work is like 2.30 a.m. to like 8.30 a.m. <laughs> okay. And it's terrible. It's a bad habit. <laughs> but literally... Yeah. But at that time of day, there's like zero distractions. I don't have the TV on. Maybe there'll be some music or something. But like 
that's what I really lock in on my laptop and I get cre- a lot of my creative stuff done and all my emails and stuff done. So yeah, a lot of my vendors and people that I work with hate that I'm up at that time because I send a lot of emails from like 2.30 oh, really? a.m. to like 8 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> And their phone is ringing yeah, exactly, off the hook when exactly. they're sleeping. Well, with this business, you know, we've got a lot of people that are based in Japan, based in Paris that we work with. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's 24-7 around the clock that, you know, you have to kind of be on your game. So um, that's, uh, I think that's, Part of my routine is just kind of working between those hours. And then, you know, I always take time to make sure that, like, my peace of mind is is, is at ease. And so whether that's a vacation or, or, or you know, doing something on the weekend, um, I make sure to make time for myself. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, that's important. I mean, because a lot of people especially us in the restaurant business and I mean in retail retail is hard because yeah. it's a it's a 365 oh yeah uh, day thing you know we we don't we try to obviously push the business and grow it and you know all these expansion plans and then right. you leave your tank empty exactly and then you have nothing to give yeah. you know so it's it's really important because the business is going to continue yeah well the good thing about for me is like I'm doing something that I love you know what I'm saying and uh, when I was growing up like I had the opportunities to go to fashion week and to go to all of these events but I never wanted to be there solely off the laurels of being Michael Jordan's son right mm-hmm. I wanted to be there with a purpose and be there working or something and with trophy room now that gives me an opportunity to be there for you know work purposes exactly for For marcus exactly exactly i always had this thing that i always when i was working in the supermarket business or i was working in the ice cream business i was always working under my dad yeah you know and i always wanted something for myself Mm -hmm. and it was hard because i went into the business opening a food truck right and learning on youtube how to cook yeah i feel you so I was trying to figure it out with no money. And I, you know, you, like you said, you get mad because obviously you know that there's the resources and the potential to to help you out. Of course. But when you get a no or when you get, I mean, I got fired. Yeah. You're like, fuck. What made you want to not work under your dad? What made you want to start your own thing? I call it the rich kid syndrome. Okay. (laughs) Because uh, I wanted to play professional golf. Okay. That's what I wanted to do, right? I, I and I was good. If I have kids, I think I'm going to send my kids to play golf, too. To play golf, I, right? I love golf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was placed in the best possible potential outcome, right? Because my dad moved me into Isleworth okay. the second year of college. Yeah. I was surrounded by golfers. Tiger was there at the time, you know? All these people were playing at high levels. So I was surrounded by it. Yeah. There's no better opportunity to put you in a place to execute what you want to do exactly but i was i was the son of a wealthy guy yeah so i lived that portion of it mm-hmm. instead of focusing on what i wanted to do i got you right yeah so i think after you know the market went down in 07 08 and i got hurt yeah but i had that syndrome where i thought my dad would bail me out yeah and I remember that call, man. I had to call him and I said, hey, dude, I don't have money to pay my cars. Mm-hmm. Right. And he said, well, good luck. Yeah. Figure it out. Exactly. Man, <laughs> I tell you, it was probably the scariest moment because, you know, you're stuck and you don't know anything because you haven't experienced life, you know, in the trenches. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So I went and got a job at a golf course. Okay. Uh, washing golf balls and uh, parking go. cars. And I think... That was the best experience. I like, like I said, that's why I'm intrigued that you went into the hospitality school because I think, 
and I say it all the time that people should be in the hospitality business to understand. Yeah, I just felt like I've got a very relatable personality. I think when people get to know me, you know, the thing that I hear back is like, wow, you're so humble. You know, your parents did a good job raising you. And so for me, I've always liked that one-on-one interaction with people. And so mm-hmm. from, you know, from a customer service standpoint, I felt like they would give me tools, or at least the hospitality school would give me tools that I would use down the road. Your mom is part Puerto Rican? No, she's not actually. People she's say not? that. Exactly. And you know what's funny is um, growing up in high school, I had offers every year to play on the Puerto Rican national basketball team <laughs> because everybody <laughs> assumed that my mom, because her name is Juanita, Juanita yeah. that she is uh Puerto Rican or from some Hispanic descent, but she's not. She's, she's not, not at 100% all. 100% African really? American. Yeah. She's that's just, cool. She's just very light skinned and, uh, you know, her name, Juanita. Everybody, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. I would think, that. yeah, that yeah. sounds Puerto Rican. No, nah, don't feel bad. Everybody no, no. does since <laughs> I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. So now going into, let's say, a smaller market, more local, yeah. you're focused on doing activities and stuff like that. Do you think the store might have the same outcome? Like, you know, opening this store. Will it sell a million dollars the first day, right? Um, well, I think we won't do a million dollars the first day just because we launched uh, that grand opening with an exclusive shoe. Okay. Not sure yet if we're going to have you know something special. That I don't want to give too much away <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the yeah, grand yeah. opening. But, uh, but yeah, I think we will have an initial surge. I think the first 30 to 45 days are going to be crazy just crazy, because yeah. of our, our rollout plan and how we intend to open the store, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. But uh, I think we'll see a dip in foot traffic. But I think overall the business will perform, you know, much greater than than where we were previously. As guys that are in hospitality even and retail and everything, you have this sort of expectation, right? Mm-hmm. And you've created this expectation for you with one store. Mm-hmm. And as you go into the second store or third store, whatever, and you decide to do a different location, that business doesn't react the same way. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a learning curve just from being out of the mall atmosphere because where we were, it was 100% a mall Sure. And so with this being kind of like its own standalone, you know, in a downtown location, I think there's definitely gonna be a learning curve, but um, I, I'm optimistic that uh, we're going to do, some, we're gonna do great, some great yeah. things over there. Just because I think the products, you know, the products in their limited availability kind of speak for themselves, but we've also got some really cool things that, uh, that are in, play, in store. Let's go back to your mentor. Yeah. You still with him? Oh, yeah. All yeah. the time. I speak to, his name is James Whitner. Yeah, I talk to him all the time. Okay. And James was involved in nike or was so james is a retail owner he's got three concepts um he's got 16 stores across three concepts and uh they're all over the u.s but he's doing his thing right now for sure okay in that experience i have mentors too that i i i I consistently call people ask them questions i sit a lot of i i I invite a lot of darden people because we're in, in the perfect you know, city to to be able to captivate all those executives. Yeah. When you sit with him, do you ask him the ins and outs? What what were the you know what were the problems? Yeah. Because he you know sixteen stores gives you plenty of experience oh, yeah. in the retail market. No, I think uh, I'm always learning from him. It's constant. And uh, anytime I have like a question that I I need an answer to, I call him right away, and he he's always answering the phone. And it's funny. It's like. Oftentimes, I learn things from him, but then at the same time, I'm, I've taught him some things, too. Um, oh, really? Yeah, just through, throughout the course of our relationship. And again, I think my proximity to the Jordan and Nike business without necessarily being attached to it, like I don't mm-hmm. work for them. You know, sure. Trophy Room is completely independent, but it's kind of synonymous as well. 
um, just provides, you know, a unique perspective. And I think at times James has leaned on that, you know, and I've kind of leaned on his expertise as well. Right. And yeah. his stores are, are mostly in malls and that's No, sort of- he, he's got a different model. What he does now, um, he goes around and he actually buys a building, right? And he'll put his store in the ground floor of that building. And so he's got a few concepts. Uh, one is called Ama Manier, which stands for My Way in French. And so with Ama Manier, he's got um, Ama Manier Living, which is the concept that I explained to you where he bought a building, the ground floor is retail, and then there's two apartment units above it that he actually curates to be like in a streetwear kind of environment. And so you have to book it through the business. And then once you book it, they take a profile of like all your sizes, et cetera, et cetera. They'll put clothes in the closet of the apartments. What? They've got art and all this stuff that's for sale in the apartments. And as you, you know, take things, they just charge it to your room or your card on file, et cetera. And Holy uh, he's shit. got another concept called Ama Manier Eats, which I think is in Houston, where he kind of built like an upscale restaurant within the con- uh, his store. And so he's doing different types of experiential retail things. And so uh, that's a style that I'm really trying to emulate. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And also gives you the value of the real estate, which is the yeah, most absolutely. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. We'll get there. We're not there yet. No, but sure, that's, sure, uh, sure. That's part of the growth plan. My mentor owns Golden Corrals. Okay, yeah. And and he buys the real estate too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's um, the way to go. And that's the way to go because even when we talk to McDonald's people, I have an, a friend that owns several McDonald's. the The real estate portion of it is such a huge business oh, for yeah. them. It is. And that's where they make all their money. Sure. You know what I mean? As an operator, you'll make good money. Not, don't get me wrong, but owning the real estate is where the value yeah, is exactly. long term. Long term, right? For sure. And and the retail brand, obviously, Trophy Room. Maybe you decide that at one point you want to sell it. Who knows, right? Yeah, you know, I've talked about that. Um, I don't know if I'll sell it. You know, it depends because it's so like tied to me and tied my family, and you know, all of the Jordan legacy tie-ins with it. Um, and you know, we'll see, we'll see one day when the day comes, you know, I'd rather at this time, I'd rather just close it versus selling. I can't see, I can't see myself selling it, but the goal is eventually 10 to 15 boutiques, Mm -hmm. both domestically and internationally, you know, all doing pretty well, but we'll get there. And, and, and that's the funny part about it, right? People go into business for different reasons. Yeah. And we all think that everybody just wants to make a boatload of money and sell. Right. right. And some people don't even want to sell. Yeah. No, I, there was a, um, a boutique in Paris. I think it was called Colette. And they were really big. Um, you know, they were like a staple boutique for years. And it was family run. Uh, they a well-off family. I can't remember the name of the family who ran it. But uh, they did the same thing. They just, you know, wanted to move on to something else and just... One day decided, all right, we're closing the doors, and it kind of left the whole community closed. devastated. Yeah, they just closed, you know, and just moved on. And so I don't want to, you know, obviously use that as an example to copy, but um, it's it's something that's in my mind. I don't know. We'll see. I'm trying to get my first store open back again. I, don't, I can't think about closing. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm joking. I'm no, joking. no, I, I know where you stand. I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just intrigued because obviously, for me, I wrote myself a check, mm-hmm. right? And I carry that check. It's in the car, I, I, and I look at it whenever I'm a little bit discombobulated or I feel like life is shit right now. Mm-hmm. I look at the check and I go, "This is what I'm working towards." Right? right. You always have to keep a north to what you want, right. and. Um, for us, in, especially in the restaurant business, the last two years have been really rough. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really good learning experience to obviously not execute mm-hmm. what I've done in the past because the business has changed so much. I'm sure, yeah. And I think in the retail market, 
Amazon is putting such a dent in what's going on that you have to kind of move your business into what you're doing, right? Into the experience, into being more community based, Mm -hmm. into obviously trying to figure out what products people really want and kind of make it an exclusive event. Yeah, well, we had the, you know, I don't want to say foresight, but it, we were lucky enough to actually close our doors out of Disney in June of 2019. So mm-hmm. we shifted all of our business to just online only. Okay. And so we were kind of ahead of the curve because, you know, fast forward to March of 2020, everything shut down. And, you know, if you didn't have an online business, then you were scrambling to establish one because that was the only way to operate. And so we, you know, having, you know, operated online only, we kind of I don't want to say we didn't feel the full brunt of the pandemic because we definitely felt it a little bit. But, you know, us being online only allowed us to kind of, you know, lower our overhead, not have to deal with some of those things that, those you know, really things. Yeah, yeah those, that really hurt businesses, you know, brick and mortar businesses throughout yeah. the pandemic. So, you know, it was uh, a blessing in disguise, actually, that we got out of Disney at the time that we did. You did. Tendencies during the pandemic, though, have you noticed how people have changed their 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 buying? You know, for us, it's different. You know, obviously on the apparel side, yeah, we've seen a little bit of a dip in apparel purchasing. Um, but for footwear, it's just been sky high. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we'd be remiss to not, you know, mention the elephant in the room that a lot of people buy Jordan product to then go on the internet and resell, and resell. it and make a profit. And so during that pandemic time, while we were online, literally any shoe that we put online would would go like that, you know. And so, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to again have like an established online business that kind of did really really well throughout the pandemic. You control your north right with Trophy Room, sure. and then you basically count on your supplier to help you navigate through what you want to do and wh- where you want to take the brand. Correct. Have have you been involved, obviously, like for example, right now product availability for you possibly, is that a problem? Do you go through that issue because, you um, know. It's not necessarily a problem, but there have been delays, you know, with some of these other smaller vendors in terms of them, you know, hitting deadlines. Obviously a lot of factories were closed and a right. lot of, you know, delays with, you know, overseas shipping and all of that stuff. And so um, it hasn't been too bad, but there's definitely been some, some you know, changes and shifts in, in how things operate. But from a trophy room perspective, yeah, I do all of the buying. You know, I'm super hands-on with it, and I try to curate our offering to be, like, things that I would wear personally. Do you bring in a designer? Do you do you work with them? So how does that process go? So when I'm working with Jordan Brand, you know, they have a team of designers and I'm working on behalf of Trophy Room as the head designer. And so it's a really collaborative process where we, you know, talk things through and then they make changes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but on the Trophy Room apparel side, you know, we've actually launched um, a cut and sew business, which is trying to, you know, manufacture our own apparel from scratch. Oh, really? And yeah, I've got a, I've got a team of partners with that. And so again, I'm kind of dictating to them what I would like to see. They make the changes, we go to sampling, and then, you know, we manufacture. So it's, it, it's, it's different depending on what I'm manufacturing. But yeah, I do operate as Trophy Room's kind of designer with some help. That's good. Yeah. Right. You have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions in food. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. right now I'm talking to a donut guy and, and I don't know anything about donuts. <laughs> and I'm intrigued because yeah. it's such a scientific thing. I'm sure. As you move forward, though, do you think the future 
of retail is moving towards where you're headed towards like because because yeah. you know all these malls now they're so compressed mm-hmm. with you know the amount of people that want to go to the malls and are just buying online yeah that, what do you do well i think a lot of people say retail is dead and i don't think it's dead i think it's evolved right and i think uh it, those that you know listen to the to the market and kind of do those experiential types of things um, you know, different types of activations, et cetera, et cetera, create some sort of connection to their consumers. I think they'll they'll be the ones that survive. Um, you know, obviously Amazon is kind of in, in the online wave is kind of changing things. And so Crazy. you got to be able to adapt. Man, for us, Uber was the killer. Yeah, I can imagine. More than anything, Uber killed our labor market. Really? Yeah, because why would I go work for somebody that's screaming and hollering at me yeah. and you know, and it's a hot kitchen and all these other things. Right. When I could get in my car, drive somebody around in my pajamas, right. and I could turn it off whenever I want. Yeah, I could see how that would hurt. Right. Yeah. So then at that point, I, I, I mean, you noticed it instantly. What did you have to do? Just adjust. I think in the, in the last two years, I went from being super money focused, obviously, at results, and then I made a decision that it wasn't anything about the money anymore. And it was just basically about developing your people. I got right. You. Yep. Um, and I think that shift happened at the right time. Right. But I had to go through a lot of shit. Yeah. Right. To, exactly. to see it that way. Yeah. And the shift on that is that basically the business started going a different route because as you develop people to be in positions that they don't consider that they had that opportunity. Yeah, true. You know, they adjust and they they help you take the business in the right direction. 100%. Your people are the most valuable that's asset. That's it, man. Exactly. And, that's, and that's the thing that I feel that maybe, and I asked you because I didn't study hospitality, right? I studied international business. Do you think they teach that in college where they teach you that, how do you know? How do you develop people to be? Because hospitality is all about people. Yeah. Right. We're not. Uh, you know. Yeah. I can give you a recipe. Yeah. But if the the person doesn't execute it, exactly, you're in the in dead water. Right? No, I felt like the program there was, you know, really at least my program was really oriented towards like management level, and so they definitely gave you some tools in terms of like how to manage a team, you know, how to work with. Uh, you know, unruly guests and customers, things like that. And so um, I'm, I'm happy with the tools that I kind of learned from, from that program, definitely. Would you have preferred to go out and work somewhere? You know, for me, I was playing basketball at the time for most of my time. And so, you know, my internships I actually did with a buddy where I was like working in a hotel lobby, like just bare, bare minimum stuff to, you know, try to get past the internship requirements and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I had the opportunity, but I just didn't really take advantage of it at the time because I was a I kid. It. I was like, look, I'm playing basketball. I'm tired, man. I don't want to go to this thing. But I ended up doing that. Do you regret it? No, I thought I thought it was fun, man. I thought it was a it was a good uh, experience, and so it gave me it gave me some tools in terms of just working with customers for sure. Cool. What is this live twenty three live? So twenty three live that was a program that Jordan Brand had instituted just throughout the holidays, where they asked me to host a series of uh, shows where I kind of was the host interviewing other Jordan Brand like affiliates throughout the uh, throughout the series, kind of promoting some of their newer pr- technology products, and then also just kind of 
interviewing the guests to, uh, for the consumers on Nike. And so it was cool. I'm hopeful that we uh, we come back together for a, for a second season or something like that. You got to choose the people that were on live? No, well, it was a collaborative thing. They kind of had it built out and asked me to host. Okay. And once I you know, was on board with it, I kind of helped them develop the script and kind of mm -hmm. the talking points, the games we played, et cetera. Um, and yeah, it was it was fun. I'm I'm hopeful that they uh, they bring it back. They bring it back. Yeah, for sure. You plan on doing something yourself? Yeah. So we've got a lot of different cool things that we're trying to do in the new space, and so uh, we're kind of still in the brainstorming phase. Uh, we actually just instituted a podcast. We're calling it BC23. Um, but yeah, we uh, other than that, we've got activations that we're going to be having in the store. We're doing like screen printing workshops and different types oh, of really? customization things like that, and then we plan on introducing like some art installations and uh, just different um, activations and programs for you know our consumers to kind of come out and, and interact with. Yeah, education brings in um, a lot of people because they're looking, you know, so much has happened in the sense of people wanting to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. And they need mentors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we have access to people that, that obviously want to help us and mentor us, but not everybody does. Yeah, it's true. I was talking about it earlier with the school specifically, like just talking about how we can help people that are in the hospitality business that want to do their own restaurants, that want to do their own food trucks to just help them, yeah. you know, because for me, I mean, when I opened my food truck, it was YouTube right. and, you know, hitting the streets mm -hmm. and I learned the hard way and it sucked Yeah, because at that point, you know, it, I remember after the food truck i i when i decided to open pig floyd's i used to go i smoke a lot of cigars mm -hmm. and i would go to corona and sand lake and there was this gentleman that everybody would tell me you gotta talk to him. really you gotta talk to him mm -hmm. and every time i would go talk to him he would say hi and i would say like you know i'm opening a restaurant he was like oh yeah that's exciting great right and that was it <laughs> okay sure and I kind of, you know, through through the years had to show them that I wasn't a joke. Yeah. You know. Of course, there's always uh, that proving period I feel there like, is. especially with like mentors and investors and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And he was super super hard to prove to him that I really was having a brand that would be recognized mm -hmm. and you know, a good product and 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 obviously a social a, a, a solid financial outlook to what I was doing. Yeah. And now he's become such a great resource. You know, really? he was a vice president of operations for Olive Garden, all oh, wow. 750 restaurants. So That's crazy. he's very knowledgeable sure. in how to operate people and operate, you know, units, exactly. which is the name of the game for us. Those are the type of people you need to pick their brain, you know, and just because right. there's a lot of valuable uh, just information that information. gets left on the cutting room floor for them, but is like, you know, gold for us. <laughs> that's right. So hotels, have you ever thought about getting into the restaurant business? You know, that's something that I did think about. My dad is uh, obviously involved in the restaurant business. There's a few Michael Jordan steakhouses out there. Okay. He's got a restaurant in West Palm Beach called 1000 North as well, which is, does really well. And so, you know, it's something that's that's there for me to do if uh, if, if there's you want interest. to exactly. Yeah. I, I'm interested in it, and I've had several conversations with the team that manages them and all that stuff. So it's uh, it's a possibility. A friend of mine was actually just tossing out that uh, 
I should try to rebrand and remodernize the Michael Jordan Steakhouses to MJ Steakhouses, oh, really? Marcus Jordan. Okay. And so we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, I think they're in major markets, right? Yeah, there's a few. There's one in Chicago. There's one in uh, Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun uh, okay. Resort over there. And then, yeah, I think there's... I can't remember all of them, but there's a few. Sure, there's, there's a, few. a few. Yeah, the restaurant business is a very like, especially the steakhouse business. Oh, it's yeah. it's so it's such an interesting business. Well, what's your thought on all of these new membership restaurants? Because you know that's kind of the craze right now is people paying whatever the cost is to be a member, but then you also pay for the food when you go to the restaurant. You know, somebody was talking to me that invested sort of like that situation sure. in Winter Park. Yep. They're doing I think it's Ava or something yeah. like that that you pay. Yep. Listen, I find that interesting because obviously it's great. You're getting money mm -hmm. and you know, these people are paying money just to be members. Yeah, just to be members, right? And I think at the end of the day is a sense of belonging, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of a lot of guys and a lot of investors that I see talk to me about being in the restaurant business, they want something that they could call their own, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's a very interesting way because at the end of the day, you have no skin in the game. You don't lose anything unless the restaurant goes and closes right. up. Right. And if you lost your $10,000, whatever, you know, it's nothing. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't. I, do I think, think it's you'll a, see more restaurants doing this membership model, or do you think the old one just kind of is? No, I think stay? it's an interesting thing. I mean, Costco, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to use the Costco thing, but it's similar. It, it's similar, right? Yeah. Basically, you know how much membership you're gonna get. Um, basically, going into any market, mm -hmm. does that make it interesting? Yeah, because you're going to invest three to four million dollars in a in, in an opportunity real estate wise right and you're let's say that you know you put a number right and you get half a million dollars in people that are putting money in because they want to be members mm -hmm. man i mean it makes it a much easier yeah sell exactly. to say hey i know that when i go to let's say i open a pig floyd's in west palm beach i'm gonna have a hundred members right and that that amount of money is what I'm going to use to open the restaurant. Exactly, you get that up front. Yeah, you get that up front. Yeah. It's a good deal. You're right now, the issue is you're going to have a hundred of these people going. Oh, I you know I own part of that restaurant. Exactly, exactly. And, and what's, it's, what I, am I getting? What's right. what's in it for me? What not what's in it? Like how do you build value on that? Exactly. And will these people once you decide at one point that you're going to sell? Yeah. How does that work? How does that work? Yeah. Right. No, it's interesting. It's something that I've just noticed in the restaurant landscape. And so I just wanted to, you know, get your insights on it. I think the most important thing and the hardest thing in the restaurant business is investment. Okay. I think a lot of people are very scared of being in the restaurant business because we've been portrayed in the media as, you know, people open a restaurant and they're going to close within a year. Right. Not necessarily. Right. Yeah. I think it's a lot of people that go out there that somebody told them that they have this fantastic lasagna recipe mm -hmm. and they think they could get into a restaurant for a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars. And then all of a sudden they're down the street a million bucks into yeah, it. Exactly. And now they got to operate it. For sure. And, you know, the long term commitments of when you're signing a lease, it's five to ten years. At least. At right. Minimum. Oh, yeah. So then my thing is. You know, you're an entrepreneur till that day. The next five years, you're an operator. Yeah, for sure. And 
This shit's no fun <laughs> because it's, it's an everyday hands-on. affair. It's, it's a hands-on. Yep. You're dealing with people all times. Like you know, like you say, two thirty in the morning till eight o'clock. Yep. I mean, sometimes I get home at night and I don't want to talk to my girlfriend. I don't want to talk to a human. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, please don't text me. Don't write me. I'm tired. I don't want to hear another voice. I know. I know that feeling. Right. I know that feeling. And so I think it's important that people realize, you know, when when you're doing these kind of commitments, it's a long term commitment. You can't move. You you know, you, yeah. you, you can't leave Orlando if you're deciding to develop one restaurant unless you're a gonna open another one exactly but i think people get caught up in that yeah it's uh it's definitely one of those things that you know a lot of people say oh i want to be an entrepreneur i don't want to work at nine to five and then you start your own business and you work longer than nine to five you know and so i think uh you gotta love what you do that's the at the root of it you gotta love what you do you know you're right to a certain you know to a certain degree you gotta love it but I think a lot of people fall into different things that not necessarily are a passion project in their life. Yeah. They just see that there's an opportunity of making money and then they fall into that trap, yeah. right? Um, when I was in other businesses, real estate, I mean, supermarket, whatever, I didn't love those businesses. Right. And then when I fall into the restaurant business, I tell you the truth, the first two years, you you would tell me like you're gonna be in the restaurant business for the rest of your life i'd be like yo go fuck yourself yeah <laughs> this is nuts right right i was selling crispy cream burgers out of a truck right right um there's a certain degree of humility that happened during that time you know um you you go and and i say this openly i, I lived in Iowa. i was living a big life You know, I had a rich dad, all these things. You look at that life and then you go, fuck, I'm selling burgers out of a food truck. Mm -hmm. You know, whoa, where my life has taken me. Right, right. And then you try to figure out, you know, how am I going to get out of this? Exactly. And how I'm going to build on this. Right. And I think that's probably the most fulfilling thing that has ever happened in my life. Really? Yeah. Why? Because, because you saw, like, you were in a shitty position. I, I yesterday I saw uh, a gen- listen a gentleman I, when I had the food truck one time the engine blew and I had no more money and I remember sitting in a Taco Bell just fucking crying really yeah because I had no money I was like man the engine's gone it's gonna cost me two or three grand to fix this shit I have no money my partner at that time was like I don't know what we're gonna do because we got no money yeah and I remember that he called somebody and this guy loaned us 5,000 bucks. Okay. I don't know this guy Yeah. at that point. And yesterday I saw him. He sells cars. He sells Porsche, mm-hmm. right? He sells, at that time he was selling Porsche. This was 2011. Yeah. And I called him up and I said, hey man, I know you did a deal with Nils for this five grand that you lend me, but I need to know this deal because I don't know how, like, what repayment terms, how did it work out interest-wise, all that shit. And I would go pay him every month at Porsche. I would go take him the money every month. And I was asking him yesterday, like, why the fuck did you do that? Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't know. Really? You know, I don't even know why I gave you five grand. I knew there was another guy involved in it that our friend Albin um, had said that you were good for the money, and I just lent it. That's that's awesome. That's a lifeline. That's a lifeline, right? And and the same with my partner at the time. He sold his car and gave me the money to open the food truck. Oh, wow. Yeah. So 
It's interesting to see that perspective because even my investors, for example, in Lignona, I didn't seek out the money. They came to me and interested in investing in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately with COVID, we lost that unit, yeah. but I placed them in the new one that I'm gonna build in Lee Road. That's awesome. So, you know, when you build that trust, I think more importantly in business, trust is such a huge deal. Yeah, and it's 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 uh, easy to break and hard to find also, you know? And so when you, get, when you get those people that you can trust or that, you know, click with you, you gotta keep them around. That's you gotta sure. keep them around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the last question is, how do you separate the family from your business, right? Because yeah. I had a tough time doing that my family is still pretty involved. They yeah. helped me out and they're great advisors. But for you, how do you go about that? Early on, it was tough just because, again, it was a lot of learning for me. And so I always was kind of tugging on my dad's coattail, like, hey, what do you think about this? What, you know, this just happened. What are your thoughts on that? But again, as I got the experience, um, I kind of realized, like, hey, look, this is your shit. You know, you got you're the decision maker. You got to make it work and it all kind of falls on you if it doesn't. And so just kind of, you know, over time, you know, I started to take more of the reins myself and just not necessarily, you know, cuz it was always I was always the decision maker, but I guess just having the confidence to pull the trigger, I guess to say on some of those key decisions because at times, you know, early on, I would procrastinate and think like, oh, I'm, you know, even like in de from a design perspective, like sitting there waiting for inspiration, right, is always the thing is like, oh, I'm going to sit here and not, I'm going to put it off because I'm not inspired now and just one day it's going to click. And for me, I've actually found like that's a, that's just a bunch it's of bullshit. bullshit. Exactly. Like you're just as creative no matter if you go to start it now or, you know, put it off for two weeks. And so that was something that I really, you know, learned is just kind of like, Stop putting things off, attack everything, um, and don't be afraid to ask questions, you know, because I feel like we're all always just learning and figuring things out, you know. Right. And so early on, I uh, was very, you know, question heavy, and I would ask questions to Disney, I would ask questions to everybody. Why is it this way? Why can't it be that way or something, mm -hmm. something like that? And so I felt like that is a tool that kind of just helped me, you know, um, be able to build the foundation on my own. Do you go back to your, your, your dad or mom for advice still to this day? Yeah, I mean, if there's something that's happening that, you know, I feel like I want their input on, they're always there, you know, 24-7 to, uh, to answer something. With my dad, it's been a little more of, um, you know, he's got a team, right? And so he's instituted this family office to kind of help me and my siblings to kind of navigate the world of business and investing as, in, as well. So uh, I'm more so working with them uh, directly, directly today versus calling my dad and saying, hey, dad, this happened. These guys screwed me. I need this, this, and yeah, this. Yeah. Now everything kind of funnels up through the family office now. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's, yeah. it's, it's tough. I mean, I go back to my dad for certain things, but obviously you want to make the decisions and live with the decisions that you make for yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Give me an oh shit moment in your life that you said, holy shit, I did this. This is me. I think, you know, the grand opening day of, of 2016 at Disney, I think it was, you know, obviously we knew that we were building something special, but when we had, you know, people flying in from China and all over the world, you know, it was kind of like, holy shit, like what was going on, you know? And then, uh, you know, it was one of the longest days of my life, but then at the end of the day, when, you know, we checked the registers and the, and the POS and it said a million dollars, you know, that was like, Fulfilling holy shit. As fuck. Yeah, it was like, you know, where do we go next? And so, um, I think if, if 
out of all the oh shit moments, that's probably at the top right now. Dude, thank you for for coming in. Yeah, man. I no want to say that I'm proud of you for separating and becoming yourself. Thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate you guys yeah, having thank me. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. For sure, man. I yeah. appreciate you. We could be here all day until you subscribe. I'm not going away.